just a warning that this episode does get quite heavy. If you ever need support, please contact Lifeline, available 24 hours on 131114. I'm Jason. And I'm Maddie. And this is Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who through various trajectories have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable. Trying to accept the unacceptable. Trying to make sense of chaos. In the episode that you're about to hear, Kim speaks to us about a day 18 years ago that changed her life forever when she accidentally killed a teenage boy named Christopher while driving. With an astonishing amount of bravery, Kim delves in and opens up for the first time about how she processed and still is processing the worst possible pain imaginable. Kim's battled suicidal thoughts, immense guilt, and is working through it still today. She opens up about this and more together with myself, Jason, and her daughter Renee, who's also Jason's partner. We're not going to say any more. We decided the feelings, emotions, and circumstances that Kim describes are beyond any possible explanation. In fact, much of what Kim says is unspoken. We were just, we reversed out of our driveway and Denton Street is probably about a kilometre long and there's a rise in Denton Street and we've just cruised up the road. I've subconsciously always been conscious of the kids on that street because there's a lot of the kids on the street. So I was doing probably about 30 k's an hour. We've gone, the sun was down, the sun was right in my eyes so I put my sun visor down. We've gone over the rise of the the lip of the hill and then I then I felt a a bump and I was it's very hard and I I felt a bump and looked into my driver's side mirror and and I don't know why but I keep thinking that I saw a backpack, but I don't understand why I saw a backpack, but I think I saw a backpack. And I've pulled over and then I remember looking in my driver's side mirror again and just seeing a pile on the road, but not registering what it was, but subconsciously realising what it was. And After that, it's pretty blank. I, I know that I got out of the car and... 
and I remember seeing the pile move and knowing that and it goes pretty blank from there but my life changed from that day so I, I don't know how to explain that I don't, I don't know what to say from there I just I know that I just lost it I just completely lost it because of I can't explain it. My life changed. That's all I can say is my life changed from that day on. And it's never been the same. But I don't ever want it to be the same either. It's, this is really hard for me to talk about. Mm. It's And so it's clearly one of those topics that no one should ever go through. Um, but you have. And... It's something that, I mean, from a point of view of why, why you wanted to share this, why you wanted this to be out, what's, what's, the, what's the big purpose behind it? This happened in 2002, and every year at least, once a year I hear of this happening again. And I know that there's no support group out there, and I know that There's not... Who do you go to mm. to talk about this? Mm. I mean, I'm a mother. I, lo I love my children. I would die if anything ever happened to any of my children. Yet I'm responsible for... There's so many things about the accident. He was on his stomach on a skateboard going from one driveway to the other across the road. So... As the police explained to me, that's why I couldn't see him. I always, for so many years, I wondered, why? Why wasn't he standing up if he had stood up? If he was standing up, I would have just... I, I, don't, I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to talk about it. The guilt I felt with his mother, all I wanted to do was hug her and be there and tell her I understand how she felt, but I didn't understand how she felt. And then the guilt of the way I felt that taken her child away. I really just wanted her to know that I didn't mean it, but then eventually she became angry as you do mm. with me. I know that Christopher, I think of him every year. He's the same age as my daughter. They went to school together and oh, I don't know why I had to talk about it. Well, you are talking about and it. Then there's no way to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. So if we if we go back, so the incident with was named Chris. Yeah, Christopher Knight. Yeah. So the accident happened, and you you said you feel like your life changed from that point. You, what memory do you have immediately after the accident? If any. Yeah. Just shock. Just numbness. Mm. And terror. Just panic, panic, panic. Just get help, get help. That's all I felt. Yeah. I saw his leg move. Oh, Christopher held on for three days. So for three days... I just prayed, I'm not a religious person, but I prayed and prayed and prayed that somehow he would come through this. 
but unfortunately he didn't. So every year it happened five days before my daughter's birthday, Jess's birthday, so I live with the guilt that Jess lived with as well. I was a tuck shop lady at the school that he attended. We lived one street away from the school. I was very well known around the area. Six months after I, this happened, I tried to go back to tuck shop and I couldn't. I just got changed in the eyes of the neighbours and all that kind of stuff. And I know that it wasn't a conscious thing. It was just the way this happened. It was... Uh, I still haven't dealt with it, I don't think. What goes through your mind when you see an article where this has happened to someone else? My heart breaks because I know that the driver, I always think of the driver. Yeah. Because I know that this is not going to, this is going to change them. And it takes a bit of innocence away and... I always wonder what he would have been now. Like, he would have been the same age as Jess. He's 30. I felt so bad because his mother was a single mum. She struggled. You could tell that Christopher didn't have the easiest life. He had two younger sisters that looked up to him. I devastated their life. And it's taken me a long time. Like, even as I say, I devastated their life. Deep down, I know that I didn't. But automatically, that's the way I feel. And it's, that's the thing, trying to live with that is hard. It really is, like these sisters. I often think about them, like, and the mother, I've blanked out so much, it's amazing. Christopher had a friend with him on that day, his name was Dale. I didn't remember his name for ages, just reminded me the other day about it, but I knew that he was there, but out of it I got some positive and some negative because at the time, my licence was suspended. For that reason alone, I felt so guilty because I was on the road unlicensed and this had happened. When it first happened, I just wanted to honestly do time. I really felt like, push me, put me away. I need to go do time, I need to pay. I've taken someone's life, I need to pay. It took me a long time to get over that because I wasn't unlicensed, but as the police explained, I wasn't, I was capable to drive, I just wasn't licensed to drive, but little things like that. I shouldn't have been on the road saying that thing that I live with. Mm. Even though, like, when they did the investigation and everything, I actually hit Christopher at 26 k's an hour. But because he was on his stomach, it was cast catastrophic mm. so if I wasn't doing the wrong thing by driving he may have still been alive so I live with that as well do you differentiate yourself from an accident to intentional so when you see these incidents happen elsewhere and they're intentional or they're under the influence or there's some criminality involved. Do you differentiate yourself? I diff for example, the guy that ran over the four police mm -hmm. 
Oh, no, not the trucky, no. There was one before that that took out a few kids by accident. Mm. Mm. And um, he might have been drinking, a 21-year-old, I think he was. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he was yeah, drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a knot on the eyes. Yeah. I feel for that kid because he stuffed up. We've all done that. I mean, everyone's had a big night and they've done something stupid. He's taken four lives. He's got to live with that for the rest of his life. And also do it from inside but when that happened I didn't feel angry at the driver because I realised that that was a if he hadn't have been doing ice he made the wrong decision mm. but we make wrong decisions mm. and sometimes we pay for them mm. like for example Christopher shouldn't have been on his stomach and he mm. paid for his life mm. with his life but that was a normal thing that how many 12 year olds do mm. that but he had to pay for his life how many 21-year-olds have gone out and stupid? Like, I've got a 21-year-old son, and I've said to him, that could be you if you're out there doing something stupid and you're drunk. So I don't feel angry or like that That kid is a bad kid. Mm. He made a bad mistake, and it's changed his life, mm. as did I. So it comes down to a decision or a choice at yeah. some point in time, whether it's before that... You know, it's because I mean, I'm, I'm reflecting on it and I think it's just really luck. It's, 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 if Christopher was doing that probably every, every, when did it happen? Was it in the evening? It was at about 20 to 6 yeah. on the 25th of March 2002. And it was in um, Wishart, right. Queensland. So the sun was going down. That was at sunset. Mm, mm, mm. It was oh. a beautiful day. It was the uh, beginning of the Easter holidays. Damn. It was his last year of school. Year of school. Mm. The year the after the school holidays, they all went back to school, and the windshields came out, and Christopher's name was on it. Mm. It's. I can't remember him. Like I can see him, but I can't. I think of his mother all the time. Did you have? any form of relationship with Chris's mum at any point? After it immediately happened, we became, like, friendly for about three days, like, just trying to hold each other up, I think. She was, she realised that I was just another mother, but after that, grief kicked in and it changed. We did attend his funeral, just Renee and I. I'll never forget that. Was that something you felt you needed to do at the time? Attend the funeral? Uh, Christopher's mother actually asked me asked to attend. Because it was something that I was really tossing up on. I didn't want to, but I did. I just went to the service and we didn't go to the wake. But And then Christopher's mother got in touch with me that night. And we, Tracy, because she wanted me to go out with her, Christopher's mother. But my twin sister mm. didn't want me to be by myself, so she came with me. But yeah... She said it turned down and she was so glad she came with me. Because I was just... How do you handle that? Like, I... I can't even have a shower and kill a daddy long legs. I, 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 I love being a mother. I love children and... I still to this day cannot believe that that happened to me. Mm. But it's to me. And it happened to us. Mm. It happened to... But it happens every day, that's the point.
Kim, how, how does it change the way you look at your kids? Uh, just appreciate my children and scared. Mm-hmm. I'm always scared. Scared that something will happen to them. Mm. Yeah. I really am. And now my granddaughter. And your and your life from from that point. Um, I mean, your life is so much more than this this incident, this accident, this this this, this trauma. Um, how did it change your life? What 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 supports were there? What supports weren't there? What 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 things changed? Not much really changed. It changed my attitude towards my children, for sure. I had a bit of counselling, but in all honesty, counselling suits certain people, but it's very hard like, for me to sit here and this is the hardest moment of my life. And it's hard when you sit down and it's only happened like three weeks it was and then they push you... Mm tissues in front of you and it's like all right now turn it on and turn it off and you can't turn it on and turn it off I couldn't the one time that I've actually been really truly raw with my emotions about this was about two weeks after it happened and finally the house was free it was the first time that I had the house to myself since it happened because for the first week I was pretty much just in the room or trying to see Christopher's mum and then I had to sort of snap out of it and then about two or two and a half, three weeks later I realised I was at home and all of a sudden it just, it was like this thing that just spewed out of me and I just started screaming for like ten minutes like a guttural roar and you could just feel all of this stuff getting expelled and that is probably the last time I really dealt with this. No one understands. No one's is going to understand. You've just got to learn how to live with it and deal with it and try and take what you can from it. I I still don't know what I'm supposed to take from it. Do you think if someone did understand that would help? Yeah. Yeah. I think that eventually you two should get a group together. (laughs) Some sort of support group for that kind of thing. Because it is something that happens on a daily basis, as you would know, Renee, being a nurse. But I mean, when you were talking about the articles that you come across where this has happened to someone else, I was thinking if you could talk to that person in the car... Well, first of all, would you even want to talk to them? Um, and if you would, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a hard one. What would I say to them? For some reason, the universe put you... See, the way it was explained to me, Dr. Bastard, it's the only way that I could deal with it was people have got a number, we've all got a number and for some reason Christopher's number was then and for some reason I was integrate in moving him onto the 
next place. That way I could kind of deal with it. Mm. So for some reason you've been given a star and role in helping this person move on. That's what I would say probably. I don't know. It's a pretty powerful way to look at it because you, you tend everyone's on a timeline. Yeah. And we just don't know. We just don't know what what the timeline is. Because the hardest thing for me is Christopher didn't have an easy childhood. And I don't understand... Like, I'm still mad about it, that he didn't have a chance to have an adulthood. Like, this was... He was nearly finished primary school. He never got a chance to live. He never got a chance... So... I don't understand life in that way. And the only way I can understand, the only way I could deal with it was what Dr. Bastard said. He said you had to help him move on. That it could have been anybody. Anybody five minutes later, five minutes earlier was 20 seconds difference. It just so happened that the universe made all of those things come together at that time. And for some reason, something out there thinks that you've got the strength to handle it. Mm -hmm. I told my dad that I was doing this podcast today. And and I I explained a bit about your story. And he said, that's absolutely horrible. Um, But then he said, well, I guess that's the risk that we all put ourselves to when we get in the car. Mm. And he's like... When you started learning, I thought the same thing could happen to you. And there's that that's just the reality of driving and of the, the power of how dangerous um, it is to actually be on the road and about all the other cars, all the other people's decisions, all the pedestrians, all those things that are out of your control mm. that are subjected to you when you're driving. Um, so yeah I, I thought and we kind know. of live in a blissful unawareness until something does happen yeah you, you think that it's not going to happen to you yeah um, and you think you are in control you and, really do and you were mm. yeah I mean it makes you realise how vulnerable you are and your children are and the decisions you make are and I just The impact from it emotionally after that time where you're alone and you had that time to just scream. Yeah. Where did your thoughts go? What What was the darkest time you had? What was the... the do you remember this difficult period? Just the blackness. Just the, the grief that I've, I felt like I was getting suffocated, like something was just washing me like popping a balloon almost it's I feel like since that happened something dark and sinister got into my body and it's still not quite out but I released some of it then and this darkness did it did it take you to places where you thought you didn't want to be here anymore you didn't want to be alive. Yeah. 
Yeah, this has happened more than once. That first month was really, really bad. Mm. But then Dr. Bastow, I hope you're listening, Dr. Bastow. <laughs> <laughs> he was another one. That, like he was said, he'd been our family doctor for four years. And so he'd known me, known the kids really well. And he was like, Kim, you're a wife and you're a mother. And you've got to be those. You cannot, because this has happened, you can't just stop being a wife and a mother. You've got to still function and still keep going on. And that really helped me having someone to say that because I, I was, I really didn't think that I'd be able to come back from where I was in that deep hole where I just felt like I was getting sucked into, into despair. I was just, I just wanted to die. I honestly felt like I need punishment. Mm. I need to be punished. Mm. I need to be punished. I felt like when they decided they weren't going to have a coroner's inquest on it and they'd ruled it an accident, I was devastated mm. because I felt that Christopher's mother deserved a coroner's inquest. Mm. But the guilt, the guilt of taking someone else's child is indescribable. And you can't be punished by the law because you did nothing wrong um, and you know that intellectually but then emotionally of course it's another story but what about the ways in which you punish yourself for this or you did punish yourself? I have. Uh, well with alcohol I've um, got a bit of a addictive personality so through my ex-husband and I ended up struggling after that because my ex-husband didn't really, I don't think, he's a bit of an emotional devoid. He really cannot handle people in emotional distress, especially people that he really cares about. And if it's right in your face, he cannot handle it. So it's head in sand. So his attitude was, let's pretend the whole thing didn't happen, which obviously wasn't going to work. Even to the point where we didn't get rid of the car and all that kind of stuff. He wouldn't even fix the spoiler of the car. I had to keep looking at that spoiler. But I didn't have the strength to tell him to change the spoiler. This happened for seven years we had that car after that. And it ended up breaking. That was the straw that broke the camel's back with us. Because it was just too hard to handle. He just didn't know how to handle. I mean, because when he first saw Christopher on the road, when he ran up because my oldest daughter ran down and grabbed Wayne, and first thing he said to me was, he didn't look at this child on the road and see the child on the road. He looked at me and said, do you have a license? And I... <laughs> And so, well, I won't tell you the language I use, but I mean priorities. So that's just to show you where his headspace was compared to mine, but I can understand he's got his own issues and stuff like that, so he couldn't handle, I couldn't handle it, he couldn't handle it, so it was a recipe for disaster. Renee would have lived through it, I don't know if you remember much about the way we were, do you mind if she can Yeah, yeah. Renee's, Renee's obviously the daughter. She gets just a few mentions. And Jason's partner. Yeah. <laughs> to be my partner. Yeah. I have distinct memory of my sister Jess. Um, I was in the lounge room, in the lounge room watching TV, and I distinctly remember Jess running up the stairs 
saying that mum's hit someone and dad was like no like what no Jess what are you talking about and the look on Jess's face told me no something serious has happened Mm -hmm. so we all ran up the street and I saw the ambulance I saw them cutting open Chris's t-shirt probably just to assess him and I saw mum on the side of the road something I will never ever forget I don't think mum even remembers this she was kneeling and she was howling, crying. She was she was almost like rhythmically moving her body to try and get out some of the emotion that she was feeling. Because I think we got there about 10... Because the ambulance was already there, so it must have been... I mean, the ambulance would have got there quickly, but it must have been about 10 minutes later. Yeah. And I remember... The next thing I remember... It's pretty vague, I'm the same, I've blocked a lot of it out, but I remember a month later, Jess and I were walking home from school, and this was when Chris's mum had really been immense in the grief, and she yelled out the window, out the window, your mum's a murderer, to us kids, and we didn't tell mum, we just, we couldn't tell her, we didn't tell her, and that's, I don't remember, I honestly don't, I remember the funeral, I remember the songs that played at the funeral with mm. arms wide open and Annie, are you okay? And that's yeah. that's what I remember. Yeah. Did you speak about it with the kids? No, uh, not for a long time. I couldn't. I couldn't even talk to it. I couldn't process it yeah. for so long. Just frozen. Yeah. I just couldn't process it. And yeah, go on. No, the hardest thing was because he also was just, we knew him, he's our neighbour, is just up the road and that, one of the saddest things, which I found out a year later, was that Jess had a little bit of a crush on Chris and Chris was a bit of a bully and he bullied Jess at school and Jess told me this about six months after he died, she was really upset and I've gone, why are you so upset? And she said, mum, because I wished he was dead. And I said, no, you didn't. And she said, no, mum two months before he died, because he was so cruel to me, I wished he was dead. And that's taken her so long to get over that. But I understand, like I only found out about what Chris's mother had said, but I understand where she's coming from. I would have been the same. Someone taken my child. I think every individual is just trying to make sense of the situation. You know, from your end, you're just trying to survive. You're just yeah. day by day, minute by minute, probably just trying to stay here for you guys, you know, the kids. And she was probably just trying to make sense of it all herself. And you know, you're probably well. There's I was sort of looking up child. Uh, there was a sentence that really stayed with me, and it, it was like no one can understand what it's like to lose a child. Because you just haven't got a file for that in your brain. No. Until it happens, no. that's when you develop that file. So yeah. none of us can understand. Yeah. So. And do you think you've come any further towards making sense of it since it happened? No. I don't think. I'll go to my grave mm-hmm. not knowing why that happened. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, you know, it was just a circumstance, for some reason, that's a part of my life. And I don't understand why it had to be. And I hate that fact that that is part of my life, but it is. Mm. 
and I'll never understand what happened. So oh, it, fo- it follows you everywhere, I'm sure. Oh, it really does. Like, mm. 10 years ago, I was driving a truck in the city, and I was just um, driving into our depot, mm. and I ran over a bird. And I had to take four days off. Like, these people at work didn't understand what was going on. Mm. But it just devastated me. I can't explain it. It just devastated me for four days that this... It just brought it all back, and you just never know when it's going to happen, and ads and things like that. You just never know. You'll be watching a movie, and but so be it, because Christopher is worth that. Mm. I don't ever want to forget Christopher. Mm. I don't ever want to forget what happened to him, because he deserves that. Mm. So he's never going to die in my mind. Mm. Does that mean the guilt never dies? No. It's, it's hard, because the guilt's like twofold it's like a way of honoring him maybe in your mind but also it's like destroying you like yeah it's so you can't let go of it but also you want to let go of it i feel like i for every action there's a reaction and Mm. it's almost like i didn't get the right reaction it's like i deserve to pay more i haven't paid yet Mm. I haven't paid. And you mentioned this is part of your life and something that, you know, you identify with every day, all the time. What about other parts of your life? Because we've talked about this incident in the context of such trauma and grief and and guilt. I'm wondering other parts of your life that have shaped you well, this certainly puts other areas in context. Right. Nothing is unattainable, unachievable, too hard, because that is. So that's way up there, and there's not much that can come up to there. So I'm still breathing after that happened. Mm. So there's not much that can sort of bring me down now, mm. because that didn't. So in that way, it's made me stronger. Yeah. What do you think, Renee? I remember having a conversation with you when we were... I think I was probably 10 or 11. And you told me there was a time where you were driving and you thought you looked at a tree and you thought, this could so easily be over right now. Yeah. And you said that wasn't just one occasion. No. And you driving for the first time again, Mum. Remember Mm. when you drove over that leaf... There were so many volatile moments where you really could have. Yeah. But you're still here, so for that, I think you're incredibly strong. Oh, for that, I thank you guys because anytime I have that thought, or had that thought, or have that thought, let's be honest, mm-hmm. my first thought is well, that's a great message for your children. Life gets too hurt, take yourself out. You've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. Where there's breath, there's hope. But I'll be lying if I didn't say. No. I feel guilty that I've lived my life and Chris didn't get to live his. Mm. I wonder what he would have done. I don't understand, you know. But then there's so much tragedy on this life, on this planet. Because mm. I know Kim, on the, that note of tragedy, You've done a particular... We're talking about this on the car on the, on the way here. You've... Um, I can't remember the first time we had a conversation about it, but 
I remember um, I didn't even know, to be honest, and I should know, um, didn't know that the trauma Clean. cleaner role that you had, um, I mean, that in itself, that role, what, what time period in your life did you do that? That was oh, probably about six years ago, done it for two years. That was um, a really, really uplifting role. It's a hard role, trauma cleaning, because you're looking after people in their worst moments or cleaning up suicides, crime scene. The hardest things are neglect and squalor. So you see a lot of people in different traumatic times in their life. And I suppose what I went through with Chris gave me a bit more strength to deal with all of that. Mm. Just the children, all the children. It's a satisfying job in some ways because you do help a lot of people and change their lives and a lot of them really, really appreciate it. But then in other ways, as you would know, yeah. there's you can't help people and you realise how many people fall through the cracks and get left behind and then you can't really do much to help them. Mm. That's scary. But with two people like you on the planet, I'm sure that will improve that. <laughs> Do you think that you would have been able to do that job if you hadn't experienced what you did? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Do you think it gives you some, something that allows you to connect with like, such darkness and terror? No, I think I've got a certain sickness about that because I like watching true crime and stuff so (laughs) (laughs) no I don't know I don't know it it never worried me like when I walk into a crime scene or a suicide I like walking in and thinking right what happened where'd they go (laughs) it's like them both (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, who killed who (laughs) no I like the fact that you help the people like someone's got to do it if you imagine that you've family member is suicided or been murdered or the yeah. last thing you want to do is go in there and clean that up, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So yeah. that's why trauma cleaners are very important. Yeah. I don't know why I could do it, but I um, just could. Have you got a particular scene that you remember that sticks with you? The main, yeah, probably the 21-year-old. The saddest thing was this 21-year-old is a um, young man and he lived on a second story unit, not a flash place, but overlooking the bay in Mordiali, beautiful, beautiful area. And obviously he'd had a bad night, he'd smashed his bedroom window, pulled a plane of glass out and tried to slash his wrist, but then changed his mind. Oh, shit. And you could see that he dragged himself all through his apartment and died at the front oh. door. So that was the most traumatic thing. That's why I say where there's breath, there's hope. It doesn't matter how low you get. You've got to realise while you've got breath in your body, you've got a chance. If you haven't got breath in your body, you haven't got a chance. Mm. So you've just got to keep going. Just got to keep breathing because it is going to get better. It's never going to go away, but it'll get better. Yeah. So how, so how do you view something like suicide then? So when, when people are, when do, they do end their life because of... I feel despair. I feel sadness for them. Mm. that they didn't realise that just that one more breath might have been the change. Mm. 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 And, I, and I think, I suspect that 99% of people that would go down that path regret it at the last moment. Yeah. And I'd hate that to be my last thought. 
So I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for the decision they've made because they'll never get to have another one. Mm. Because of that moment in their life. We've all been... Well, I know what it's like to be the, the pits of despair. Mm. And there is light. There is a way up. Mm. As long as you breathe. Mm. I know from um, a little bit of work in that area, um, you'll be speaking to someone on the phone who's in that space and um, they're about to make that split-second decision and um, you'll just talk to them for a few minutes and then a few minutes later and you'll, you'll keep going for a few more minutes and you're saying, can you hold on for five more minutes? And, you know, eventually that pain, obviously it's still immense mm. and, like, suffocating, but it's not enough to push them over the edge. Um, and, you know, I think that that says something so much about, like, those split-second decisions. Like, mm. everything comes down to a split-second decision. And if, if, if they're able to somehow take a step back and get some perspective on where the pain sits and where everything else sits, that can often be the difference. Yeah. It is so true. But it's, yeah, it's hard to actually get that perspective. I think connection um, is a big part of it, and I think that's especially... Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned support groups because that's that's not therapy per se. That's connecting with that's someone who understands that loneliness. Just to know that you're not the only person on the planet that this has happened to. Yeah, that there's other people out there that are feeling the same way you are. Mm. That living with this mm. or living with something like it. And it's scary how often it does happen, you know, the, the amount of times that I would have attended scenes where the the person involved has been in a fatality and their life has changed forever and it happens on a daily, if not weekly basis. Mm. And you think, you feel, as an emergency service worker, I'm sure this is probably irrelevant for relevant for, for most of them you, you feel quite if you're not in that game zone where you're just trying to protect yourself you, there is a possibility you fall into that sort of vortex of you know realism what, what actually just happened a life has just been lost and that person's the family's life has changed forever and um, I I can't put into words really Kim Oh, I sometimes talk to Renee about how you got through mm-hmm. the initial period mm-hmm. because the, the pain is something unmeasurable. You know, it's not something that you can articulate to a counsellor, to, to, a, to a psychologist. It, it, it's so ingrained in... Yeah, it must feel like just futile trying to articulate it sometimes. It, like, because yeah. you can't put words to it. No. Yeah. It's just you go so far into yourself. It's really hard to get yourself back out, but Dr. Basta, honestly, he was an angel. He just he gave me that lifeline. Gave me that lifeline. 
so you can get back out but I can see how it can swallow you whole mm. and these children they all gave me lifelines how did you feel mum you guys don't mind me asking how did you feel because we had a lot of family around us in the week after and I didn't want any of it did you feel isolated with everyone? I felt so Nana, isolated. Tracy. Just, I, I felt so, I felt like I was on another planet, like this people kept coming and coming, but I just wanted to go in that black hole and stay there in the room. So, yeah, I just, I didn't, I just felt like no one understood. I just thought, what are you all here for? What, what, what were people saying to you? That they weren't really saying much at all. They were, they were trying to deal with Wayne, really, because mm. Wayne was trying to deal with me. Mm. And Wayne had no idea how to deal with me. I was just, it was just so far removed. It was, I just wanted to die, honestly. That first week I just wanted to die. And then the second week I just wanted to know how to get out of the black hole. Mm. Did anyone say anything that stuck with you in that second week? Dr. Basta, he's the one that said you're a wife and a mother. You haven't got that choice. You haven't got the luxury. Sorry, mm. you can't just lay down and die. Mm. You've got to get up and keep going. It's funny because we were uh, funny is not the right word. It was we were having this conversation around that statement. You kind of like what basically got children mm. and, and how that can go a different way. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, I feel like Dr. Basta knew Mum, so he took that risk knowing that Mum needed. Something she wasn't paying attention to anything anyone was saying. Mm. Mm. It was something clear, concise. Yeah, and oh, she yeah, could yeah. she could repeat in her mind. Mm. That really was the trigger thing that got. So he, that was the statement that started me thinking. Right, I've got to. I've got to keep breathing. Mm. So it turned into survival rather than. I mean, that that week after, and you were you were wanting to die. Was that we? What kind of thoughts were you having? Well, I didn't. Renee doesn't know this, but the funeral home was just around the corner from our place, and two nights or three nights. So it would have been the Thursday that he was taken to the funeral home, and I knew he was at the funeral home. And I don't. You don't know this, but I went around there. Probably would have been about ten for some reason. I just. When everything was quiet in the house, I just went around there and I just sat outside that door of the funeral home until about four o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to be, I didn't want him to be alone and I wanted to apologise and I just couldn't leave there. So that was another area where I sort of Mm. had my reckoning with him. I... I hope that he's looking over his mum, Christopher. I often wonder what his sisters are doing now and how old they would be. They would probably be about your age. Mm. Yeah. I just... I'll never get over it, but you learn to live with her. I think it says something about you, though, as, a, as an individual, that you are able to experience so much emotional pain and and still have that. Because you've got that flip side about you, where you you know you use humour, 
you know, you're a great person to talk to, you're authentic, all, all these things that allow you to be raw, like just just raw and allow that that pain and those almost demons to to still be present. Mm. I mean, because it, it hasn't consumed you. I, did, I, I, I hear you at some points telling me it has, but, but I don't see that. I don't no. see that it's consumed. I don't see that it's taken... It's become part of me. Yeah. But it hasn't consumed me. Yeah. I couldn't let it. Yeah. Yeah. But it could have. Could have, yeah. Mm. And that's a big part of, you know, this this conversation today is that, you know, there's no judgment either way for, for people that, you know, do decide that they can't go on. Yeah. But there's something to something to be said around people that are able to negotiate their way out of that absolute darkness, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, you know the fact that you've been able to move on and find you know working in a in a, in a trauma cleaning, um, you know your relationship with the horses as well. I think all these things have a strong, almost spiritual, yeah, yeah. you know connection to it. You got to follow your instinct in life. For living, so that's what I do. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, I wish I could see his mother again and say sorry again. I'll always be sorry. Just keep breathing. Keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Um, especially face to face is something you know, very special. So yeah. thank you. Right, thank you. And keep up the good work you do. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Little triplet. <laughs> <laughs> that was making sense of chaos. A podcast about death, dying, love, grief, and hope. Produced by. Maddie Bragel and Jason Wheel. Thank you for listening. 